Um, so there are some less familiar faces today, so I thought we could introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm Juzan. I'm Emily. Jereen. Nato. Joshin. Mina. Steve. Roy. Andrea. Noah. All right. Um, and I'm Juzan, although I think I already <laughs> may have said that. Um, so first of all, thank you everyone for coming. Um, one thing that we've been saying before the Dharma talks a lot lately that I really like is that, you know, this is just a room and what makes this a practice center is all of you coming here and your own practice and um, so I want to thank you a lot for coming here and for being here and for uh, sitting with us this morning. Um, so it's a little weird to be in the, in the doshi seat. Um, there's always this sense I have of kind of, you know, what do I, what do I possibly have to tell people? <laughs> uh, you know, it's a lot easier to get in front of a large group and talk about biology <laughs> than it is to get in front of a small group and talk about practice. Uh, and so I think one thing that's really nice to remind, um, especially myself, is that these Dharma talks are a really good opportunity to um, encourage each other's practice. It's really, you know, most of what we do here is to encourage practice. So that's what I'm hoping to uh, <laughs> achieve with this. So um, we're talking about hindrances to practice, uh, kind of in general, leading up to our ango period, uh, which is an intensified practice through the winter, and we're going to be focusing on the five hindrances to practice, which are uh, desire, aversion, restlessness, boredom, and doubt. Um, I kind of want to talk about, in general, my biggest hindrance to practice, uh, especially in the beginning, which I think would be kind of centering around ignorance in a way, although it's a bit of a stretch <laughs> uh, to put it in any of those categories. Um, so when I was young, I pretty much rejected all the religion that was exposed to me at a, at a really young age. And I think one of the things that kind of went along with that was a rejection of spirituality as a whole. And, and spirituality being, you know, just this contemplative practice of looking at ourselves, seeing where we fit in with this whole picture. Um, I had grouped that all in one ball and, and, and thrown it all away. Um, and then I went out in the world and found things to care about and things to believe in. Um, but you know, these basic things that I had thrown away took me a long time really before coming here to kind of rediscover that. Um, and so I think then I went to school and I learned all this science and I was like, yeah, I know how the world works. I know how, uh, you know, the planets work and the animals work and that's it. That's all there is to know. Uh, but there's this whole other side to our experience of, of, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean to me? What does that... Um, and that's what I think I'm, when I'm talking about ignorance, I mean just that, you know, this tendency to cover up things with concepts and, and, and claim it and be like, I know that, but that's really uh, never the case. So I think the thing that I want to talk about today the most would be wonder, or the sense of wonder or the sense of awe um, at, you know, just given our place in the, in the universe. And it's something that really um, science alone has a lot to say about, but isn't 
isn't really capturing the full immensity of, of, of something like that feeling of wonder or awe, you know, kind of that feeling of, I mean, sometimes, you know, looking at the stars and this, this vastness or even just seeing all of these things happening and it's just incredible, uh, all the things happening in, in our experience day to day. Um, so Socrates said that wonder is the beginning of wisdom. And so I guess what that means to me would be, you know, this, we have this sense of wonder, this sense of, of, of the vastness of what's going on around ourselves. And, and I think that's the core of a lot of, um, of, our, of our morals and our caring. I think we talk about a lot about love here. And I think that wonder is on the same level as that, if not even is the same thing as that. Um, so, but it's also important how that relates to, you know, to, to our own practice and how that relates to, you know, how we actually hold ourselves in the world and how we live in the world and how we make meaning out of the things that we see. Um, and I also want to be clear that when I'm talking about the sense of wonder, I'm not just talking about that, you know, it's this vastness of looking up in the stars and, wow, the universe is huge. Um, but wonder can also be, you know, these very mundane aspects of our life. You can have the same sense of wonder, do, you know, washing the dishes or, you know, stacking rocks. You know, any, any, simple, any simple task, there's, there's an equal amount of wonder. It doesn't distinguish between, you know, these large, grand, idealistic ideas of wonder. Um, and so I think like love, then, wonder is, is this... Wonder or awe is this um, kind of underlying part of our experience that's always there. It's always available to us. So um, I think that this kind of ties into our pursuit of the truth. And I think that's what brings a lot of people to practice uh, in, in the early stages, especially. Is kind of, you know, it's, it's this, this practice and, and these ideas offer a way of, of looking inward and looking at, our, looking at our minds, trying to be a little bit objective about it as, as much as possible. Um, and that's really wonderful because I think that humans are, you know, humans are explorers from, from the day they're born. If you watch a baby interacting with its environment or a child interacting with its, its environment, Humans are explorers, you know, we want to find out what's on the other side of the mountain, we want to find out what's, I guess, on the other side of the mountain <laughs> in our mind. We, it's just, we have this natural uh, desire to, to, to know, to wonder, and to, and to look in that, in that grand sense at things. And so I think one of the people who was really influential uh, during my college education was Carl Sagan. I think he said it better probably than I, <laughs> than I can. Um, so here's a quote from one of his books. When we recognize our place in an immensity of light years and in the passage of ages, when we grasp the intricacy, beauty, and subtlety of life, then that soaring feeling, that sense of elation and humility combined is surely spiritual. So are our emotions in the presence of great art or music or literature or the acts of exemplary selfless courage such as those of Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. The notion that science and spirituality are somehow mutually exclusive does disservice to both. Our feeblest contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There is a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, 
a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from a height. We know that we are approaching the greatest of mysteries. It reminds us that humans have evolved to wonder and that understanding is a joy. Um, and so I think that's really beautiful then, just this, you know, this innate drive for humans to experience that, that sort of uh, immensity to, to our experience. Um, so I think, you know, we have kind of, and I think when we're talking about these not being mutually exclusive experience, we're talking about humanity looking at this, you know, as conscious beings looking at the world and saying, you know, what is this world? Um, and then after that, what does that mean? Or what does that mean to me? And so we can, you know, look at the world, put patterns on things, and I think science does a fairly good job at that <laughs> in, in certain cases. But then after that, we kind of have to take a step back and, and say, you know, how does, how do these things that I'm learning, how does these things change the way that I view the world? You know, what does this mean to me on a, on a level that really knowing how the wind works and how the sun rises doesn't, you know, it doesn't get to that core question of what does this, what does this mean to me? What does this all say in this confusing experience that I'm having, this immense reality that I'm a part of? You know, what, what, does, it, what does that mean? Um, and that's not really something you can make a hypothesis about and test. <laughs> so... Yeah, so I think, you know, so we, we get the information and then our, our spiritual practice helps us wrap our mind around it and, and make sense of our, of our experience that we are having and the things that we learn in that experience. So I like to, uh, in my mind, relate this to one of my favorite teachings of the Buddha, which I bring up at almost every opportunity that I have. We were just at a party last night and someone brought up Buddhism and we were talking about it and even this came up then. <laughs> And so this is the teaching of absolute truth and relative truth. So the Buddha talked about then these two truths that we live with. So absolute truth being uh, these kind of esoteric things that we talk about in Zen. You know, there's no self, there's no separation, there's no um, distinction between like, me and my environment. And so that's this absolute truth. It's the, the, this grand expression of, of, of this practice. And then, but at the same time, we also live in a world of relative truth. And so I can say, you know, I, I have no self, but then I still have to go to work and deal with people. And in that world, I am, you know, this person with this identity, and I have a job, and I have relationships, and, and it's necessary that I draw these distinctions. And so there's really this kind of contradiction between these two truths that are always coexisting in our experience, this this vastness, this wide-scoping view, which in, or this selfless feeling, and then also our relative truth. You know, I think they do fit together, um, but it's not always in the way that people, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe hope. <laughs> um, and so we talk about then this I don't know mind, this sense of, I mean, to me it just kind of feels like confusion, you know, like these contradictory truths and the I don't know mind. Um, but it's a, it's a freeing and humble confusion. You know, it's a, it's, it's a realization that there are no definitive answers. Um, 
which I think really leads into that sense of that sense of wonder or awe. Um, and so, and that is really freeing. So, like with with love, which is which is which comes up very frequently here. Um, you know, there's there's a sense of freedom in that. So of of the ego's concerns dropping away when you have that true connection with with something of of, of love, and your and the concerns of the ego feel a lot lighter. And in that in that way, I think wonder is very similar because in that in that vastness of of the of reality, the ego is is nothing. You know, and we and we can see that our concerns and our um, and and all of the things that we worry about are just thoughts and projections and and, and mental formations, um, you know. And of course, then that's the absolute truth. And then in the relative truth, I actually do have to, <laughs> of course, sit and hold yourself still and deal with the things that are coming up because um, you know they are a part of our experience, so they are real. But um, but we cover up that realization all of the time. Um, and, and forget the absolute and live just in the relative. And so we tend to then kind of, at least I do, I know I, know I do, have these really grand idealistic experiences of, of you know, looking at the universe and then for totally forgetting the ego and then going back to work and then just totally forgetting that and going back. And so that's where practice is, is really important um, in sitting and learning to really sit with those two different uh, parts of our, which are actually the same part, but that's the confusion of it, I guess. So, yeah, so we need to have the help of Sangha and the help of, of this practice, I think, to kind of facilitate that sort of connection being made. So I had another little uh, thing I wanted to read, um, which I think speaks to that very well, by Kathleen Dean Moore. She's a uh, environmental philosopher in, I think, Oregon. Um, and so this is at the end of a chapter where she's talking about a trip to the wilderness with her family. Um, and this is her conclusion to uh, kind of their experiences and adventures on this island, Pine Island. The name of the book is The Pine Island Paradox. Rocking in my kayak, I watched as my son perched at the crest of the island. His attention had been caught by something far out to sea. His binoculars rested useless on the seat of the kayak, but he was standing now, looking intently toward the west. He raised his arm and pointed. I turned my binoculars to that place. It was a pod of dolphins, silver curves jumping in unison, shining for just a moment and then sliding back into the sea. I believe that the most loving thing you can say to a person is look. And the most loving stance is not a close embrace, but two people standing side by side, looking out together on the world. When people learn to look, they begin to see, really see. And when they begin to see, they begin to care. And caring is the portal into the moral world. And so I really like then that connection between looking and caring. Um, of... And that's where I think that love and wonder are very similar. You know, how can you have that experience and then not care about the object of that experience, or not the object, but you know? And so, and that's and I think that's a large part of what we're doing here at Milan, is 
is, you know, as she said, standing side by side or sitting, I guess, in our case, <laughs> and kind of encouraging each other to look and to just to look at the mind, to look at our experience, to just look. Um, because when you look, that's all you really need to do, because it's, it's right there in front of us, but we've covered it up. And that's, that's where I think the hindrance, the, the ignorance comes in. And so I'm really, truly grateful for having all of you here every Sunday, just for that opportunity to sit here and, and look, and in the process to learn to care um, in, a, in, a, in a deeper way um, through the experiences we have. And of course... You know, we're sitting on the cushion and things are very, usually not that grand or, um, or uh, they don't make me feel that elated. I think I spend a certain percentage of time on the cushion struggling and, um, you know, there's difficulties in practice. Or today, trying not to think about the Dharma talk because <laughs> I knew I'd be sitting in front of all of you. Um, so that was my practice today, just trying to return to the breath where my attention really wanted to be on, on the Dharma talk. Um, or not wanted to be on the Dharma talk, I don't know. <laughs> um, and so, so, I, so I know that I need this practice. I know that, that, that's, you know, that struggle, I feel, I feel a, deep, a deep need to engage that and a deep need to um, really truly experience it because I think that we all have... Um, and with what brings us here is that we all have this um, value that we give to the truth, our, and it's different for all of us. But um, you know, we we come here because we want to, you know, have experience what is actually going on um, and learn from that. So. I had one more thing that I wanted to read. Actually, two more things, and I spent all last night reading these two poems over and over, trying to figure out which one I was going to read. But now I think I know. And this is by Mary Oliver, and it's called Coming Home. When we're driving in the dark on the long road to Provincetown, which lies empty for miles, when we're weary... When the buildings and the scrub pines lose their familiar look, I imagine us rising from the speeding car. I imagine us seeing everything from another place, the top of one of the pale dunes or the deep and nameless fields of the sea. And what we see is the world that cannot cherish us, but which we cherish. And what we see is our life moving like that, along the dark edges of everything, the headlights like lanterns sweeping the blackness. Believing in a thousand fragile and unprovable things, looking out for sorrow, slowing down for happiness, making all the right turns right down to the thumping barriers of the sea, the swirling waves, the narrow streets, the houses, the past, the future, the doorway that belongs to you and me. So we still have some time for some comments or anything people might be thinking. I really, um, I really enjoyed the connection that you drew between um, wonder and spirituality. Um, like Jews, and I also had you know, kind of 
pushed a lot of religion away when I was younger. Um, and one of the one of the times I always felt the most special to me was um, being out in nature, going for you know long hike, backpacking trips. And there's those feelings that I think many people have that certainly aren't, aren't unique to just people that enjoy backpacking or hiking. But when you're out in nature and there's just you have that perfect moment of the, the sun shining and the winds in your face and you're looking out over you know a beautiful view and you just have that sense of being a part of something bigger, I guess, than, than just yourself and, and really feeling that. And it's, at the time, I didn't really know how to label that, but now it's easy to look back and say it's, it was a spiritual experience that, that I was having and that regularly have in situations like that. And I often equate you know, wonder with nature, with you know, being outside and you know, laying down on the ground looking at a cool bug that's walking around or an interesting leaf. And just that childlike sense of wonder I think it really it really is very closely related to spirituality, and that's what I think we try to do here, sitting on our cushions, is to look at our own minds with that same sense of wonder that you know a young child will watch a caterpillar crawling on a sidewalk with, and to just to watch what we do, and, and you know learn to become intimately good friends with our with our own craziness and our own <laughs> spinning of the mind, the monkey mind, as we we often call it. So I I enjoy that. Thank you very much. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, I think everyone, it's an experience that everyone has. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's something that I, even with my complete rejection of anything that felt remotely spiritual, it's still an experience that is just so universal, you know, and it's, and standing on a mountaintop, you know, the wonder, or looking at the stars, the wonder is right there. Um, But what I think is the really wonderful thing about this practice is that, you know, it's, it's our nature to see that, and we can be here and start to see that same wonder in, you know, the simple, boring, <laughs> even, aspects of life when you can look beyond the, uh, those simple concepts. Or not. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a good word. Um, it's a word that we haven't often used here, uh, but it's a, it's a really good word um, for, you might say, the enlightenment experience. Um, and this has nothing to do with the object, whether it's vast or tiny. It has to do with the moment of awakening to it. And that moment is wondrous. It's when you realize that you are awake, <laughs> regardless of whether you're awake to the running water in your sink or whether you're awake to the vastness of the Milky Way. That moment of the wonder of being, of whatever happens to be in front of you, uh, whether it be your mind, or whether it be a star, or whether it be a cat, or um, so it's a, wonder is a, a a word I'm familiar with, having studied philosophy. And you're right, you know, Socrates uh, said that all philosophy begins in wonder, and it begins in that sense of mystery of the very fact of being, being aware. So, um, 
and that leads to our I don't know mind. You know, this the I don't know mind is the is the mind of wonder, is the mind of seeing the very mysteriousness of of it all and being totally awake to it. So thanks for introducing that that word. So I think um in the past, Mado has said, before we go out to walking meditation, um, that she had invited us to kind of, you know, open your senses and experience the woods and experience the smells and the sounds. And so I would encourage everyone then to, to try that again today. Because, um, yeah, there's, there's wonder out there. And there's wonder in here. There's wonder everywhere. But... <laughs> I like it. Like I said before, it's sometimes it's uh, it's screaming at you <laughs> when you're on a mountaintop or a, <laughs> a crisp winter day. 